You're listening to Your Words Unleashed podcast with host Dr. Leslie Wong, helping women scholars master their writing habits and publish a book that matters. Hi, writers. On today's episode, we are going to talk about a topic that's somewhat taboo in academia, and that's money. Specifically, I'm going to give you some ideas for how to get writing coaching and other kinds of professional development funded by your institution. But more broadly, I'm going to talk about the concept of money mindsets and why we need to view spending money on ourselves as good and necessary investments. You can find the full transcript at yourwordsunleashed.com 17. Before I get into this juicy set of topics, I want to ask you to do a quick check-in with yourself. How are you feeling in this exact moment? I bet you're listening to this while you're driving, exercising, putting away the dishes, or doing any other number of tasks on your to-do list. You might be feeling stressed, anxious, tense, or tight. So please stop what you're doing for a second, unless you're driving, of course. And I'd like you to take a moment to do a quick breathing exercise with me that will instantly bring more calm and centeredness to your life. So if you can, close your eyes and inhale slowly, filling your chest and your belly and exhale for a count of three. Breathe in again, deeply and out again, even more slowly this time. And as you continue breathing, I'm going to recite some words from Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. Breathing in, I notice I am breathing in. Breathing out, I notice I am breathing out. Breathing in, I cherish myself. Breathing out, I cherish the world. Breathing in brings calm to body and mind. Breathing out, I smile in joy. Breathing in brings ease. Breathing out, I release. I breathe in this precious moment. There is only this moment. Okay, so now you can open your eyes and come back to the space you're in. Hopefully you're feeling a bit more grounded and aware of what's going on in your body. You've replenished some oxygen and slowed things down. I like to do these kinds of short breathing exercises whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed or like I'm rushing through things. And remember that meditation is just mindful breathing. You don't need to sit on a pillow for half an hour in total silence. You can just bring some awareness to your breath for a minute or two throughout the day and still get major benefits. All right, so now that we're feeling calmer, let's talk about money. So the first thing I think is really important to address is the topic of money mindset. What is a money mindset, you ask? Well, essentially, it's just your deep-seated beliefs about money 
which influence how you handle it and your decisions around saving, spending, and debt. And academics in general, as well as the whole field of higher education, I would argue, have a very tense and fraught relationship with money. We treat it as a very scarce resource, leading to what's referred to as a scarcity mindset around money. And we do this for a couple of reasons. So the first is that money can truly be scarce. In graduate school, many of us survive on tiny stipends that are doled out at the beginning of the semester, and then you have to find a way to stretch them out for months on end. And this is not even to mention the three months of summer that go unpaid, right? When I started grad school in 2002, the stipend was $14,000. When I graduated eight years later, the stipend had only gone up to $16,000. And this was in the San Francisco Bay Area, one of the highest cost of living areas in the US. In another example, I just interviewed someone for my new book who just received her PhD a few months ago from a school with a multi-billion dollar endowment. And her stipend was only $20,000 a year. And just FYI, she decided to leave academia to become a researcher at a large company, and her starting pay is $110,000. So, you know, it's not only grad students, also tenure-track faculty are largely underpaid for their level of education. For my first job in the Midwest that I started in 2012, my starting pay was $54,000. And I know that these types of starting salaries are still common in 2022 for humanities and social science faculty members. Salaries have not kept up with cost of living or inflation. I know of assistant professors who drive Ubers on the weekend to make ends meet. And when I was a junior faculty member, I rented out my apartment in Boston when I was out of town to make more income. And then of course, for adjunct lecturers who are paid by the course and don't receive any kind of benefits, things can get even more dire. And I recently interviewed a longtime lecturer who told me that a local well-funded university had offered her only $2,000 to teach a really technical class that very few other people could teach. And when she added up the commuting time, prep time, grading time, office hours, and class time, it worked out to less than $9 an hour. And then in academia also, to get funding, whether it's in the form of a scholarship, fellowship, grant, or job, means taking part in really competitive systems where there are a very small number of winners and many more losers. And long story short, our views of money are very much influenced by the low salaries and hefty competition over resources in academia. But I believe that there's a second main reason why academics often have a scarcity mindset. And this is because many people believe that the work of teaching and research is, or at least should be, separate from money and financial profit. In other words, there's a prevailing sentiment that wanting to help students and make the world better through education are goals that are somehow at odds with making money. The problem with this line of thinking is that those who pursue the academic path are often willing to accept less payment in exchange for being able to do work they care about. I've been reading a new book by sociologist Aaron Check called The Trouble with Passion, 
how searching for fulfillment at work fosters inequality. And she looks at middle-class, highly educated American workers to argue that our pursuit of passion in our work can lead us to sacrifice things like adequate financial compensation. I absolutely think that the passion principle, as she calls it, applies to the realm of higher education. Whether anyone says it aloud or not, the presumption in academia is that the work itself should be the reward. When passion is supposed to compensate for the time and effort you're putting in, it can set people up for exploitation, like the lecture I just mentioned. And when you're burning yourself out, working at night and on weekends because it's your passion, the larger system benefits, but you do not. And being that there's so few tenure-track jobs out there, we need to admit that there can be real financial implications for putting our work ahead of our material needs consistently. At the very least, academics accept scarcity of resources as normal, if not desirable. And when I'm talking about resources, I mean time as well as money. So operating from a place of scarcity puts you in a defensive mode rather than in a space of openness and possibility. Now that we've looked at the scarcity mindset, I think it's really important to take a look at its opposite, which is an abundance mindset. It's the idea that there are enough and more than enough resources and opportunities out there for everyone. I know, it seems kind of revolutionary, doesn't it? So a scarcity mindset sees limitations instead of opportunities. Whereas an abundance mindset is an open-minded perspective that's always on the lookout for new possibilities. One of the main ways I've seen the scarcity mindset show up for book authors is being worried that your research topic will be scooped by another person and then all your work would have been for nothing. Whereas an abundance mindset belief would be, there is more than enough room for multiple books on this topic. Or, my book will be a major contribution to the world because it's written by me and no one else has my combination of skills, talents, and experience. I mean, look at the sheer number of books, shows, movies that have and continue to be produced on Marilyn Monroe's life or Princess Diana's life. Somehow there's room for all of them. And so why does this matter when it comes to getting writing, coaching, and professional development funded? A scarcity mentality can keep people from even asking their departments or institutions for support. They either assume that there's no money or that they wouldn't receive it even if they tried. Whereas people with an abundance mindset believe that there's pockets of funding available somewhere and they will keep looking and applying until they get it. So because our relationships with money can be so complex, I think it's really important for everyone to investigate their own money mindsets. So let me give you a few questions to get you going. Consider the following. What messages did you learn from your family about money? What messages have you learned from academia about money? What are your current beliefs about money, especially regarding spending it on yourself? How do these beliefs impact your actions in relation to money?
And finally, what might it cost you if you don't invest in yourself? The reason I'm including this final question is that I know many academics who will do anything to not spend money on themselves. Some folks balk at the idea of spending several thousand dollars on editing, coaching, or productivity programs like the one offered by NCFDD. And what they don't see is that investing in yourself at a high level can help you gain confidence, clarity, and accountability that will allow you to meet your goals much more quickly and easily than if you keep trying to do it alone. So for those of you who feel a lot of resistance to spending money on your own professional development, please consider what is more important to you, holding onto your money now or getting a book contract with your dream press. And mind you, this book contract and the publication of your book could potentially get you a job, get you a fellowship, earn your tenure. How much are these things worth to you? So short-term investments can have a very large payback later. The biggest example of this from my own life was the decision to invest in a nine-month intensive life coach training in Los Angeles in 2018. It cost nearly $8,000 and involved five separate plane flights from Boston to LA. It was a major investment not just of money, but also of time and energy. And I didn't know how it was all gonna work out. So when I was considering this investment, I really asked myself what I wanted to get out of the experience. And I wanted two things. First, to gain the skills that would allow me to become a practicing coach. And second, to regain my sense of purpose that I had lost along the tenure track grind. And not only have I gained both of those things, but I also now have a new career doing work I truly enjoy that is much more aligned with my core values and the lifestyle I wanna lead. So approaching things with an abundance mindset, here are some suggestions for finding funds to pay for writing coaching and other kinds of professional development. First, check with your department. Departments often have budgets for research, training, and development that you might not know about. These funds often have to be spent by the end of the academic year, so go to your chair with a specific request. For example, one year I was able to hire a life coach for myself with my annual departmental research funds. Next, check with your institution and your dean. Your school might have annual grant competitions or funds that are earmarked for junior faculty. I've learned that universities also often have pockets of discretionary funds that are not publicized, but can be made available if you make a good argument for them. Another idea is to consider adding coaching and editing to your next grant application. Some grants have specific categories for writing and research consultants, which coaching would fall under. And finally, you can consider paying out of pocket. And this can be a tough one for many academics because, again, we view resources as scarce, oftentimes. It can feel challenging to spend a large sum of money on ourselves without feeling guilty, like we're wasting our hard-earned wages. But like my example of investing in my life coach training shows, smaller investments now can have much bigger payoffs later. Also, it can help to approach your university to request funds using a formal letter. 
I have a funding template for writing coaching that you can tailor for your own personal needs. If you want a copy, please shoot me an email at leslie at yourwordsunleashed.com. So in wrapping up today's episode, I really encourage you to start viewing spending money on professional development as an investment in yourself, your career, and the life you want to lead. Your ideas and your book are worthy of this type of care and investment. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for tuning in to Your Words Unleashed podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with other writers or leave a rating and review. To find the full transcript and catch all the latest from me, check out my website, yourwordsunleashed.com. I'll talk to you next time. Happy writing. Happy writing.